Hi, I'm Jonathan, and I'm so glad that you are here this week as we kick off the global experience. We have several exciting things going on in the next few days that I want to personally invite you to. You know, each one of us has a part to play in God's plan for the world. On your seat, you'll find a boarding pass with all the pertinent information to help you embark on your journey. I'm also very excited to announce Dan Bauman as our guest speaker this weekend. Dan is a missionary with Youth with a Mission. He's based in Kona, Hawaii, but he spends more than half of his time traveling the world, teaching others to simply walk with Jesus. He has some amazing stories and a great testimony of God's faithfulness. At all JFC campuses, would you give a warm welcome to Dan Bauman? Good evening. How is everybody? Ha, this is my first time at JFC with a chair. <laughs> oh, man, they're making it more comfortable for me. So I'm really blessed. Um, yeah, as many of you know, this is my home. I am privileged to come to JFC so many times. I think this is my sixth or seventh time to come and share. So I very much consider this my home. I love coming here. I love being with you all. And uh, yeah, it's just great to be with you here today and just share. And I'm excited, too, that we get to talk about a missions weekend, a, mi a missions week, and what God is doing around the world. I just feel privileged to be able to share on that. Um, before I share too much, I got an announcement. I did bring my books. Many of you have probably already got them. Um, imprisoned in Iran. <laughs> I don't want to ruin the ending, but I heard he gets out. <laughs> Hopefully you'll still like it. Um, yeah, we wanted to be very creative with the title. I was imprisoned in Iran. That's, that's how we got that. And um, we got another book that I've written, again, A Beautiful Way. And those are not my feet. I don't know whose they are. Um, but the book I wanted to highlight the most, those are out there as you go out. But the book I wanted to highlight the most is from my mom. Um, as many of you know, my parents are very involved in, uh, in missions. I have three, there's three of us kids in the family, an older sister, me, and a younger sister. And uh, they have very much pushed us into missions. And our story, uh, in a nutshell, my older sister at age 18 moved into YWAM. We are from California. That was our life. She heard about YWAM, that you could do a six-month training course. She decided to do that for six months with the plan of going back to college. And yeah, 30 years later, she's still in YWAM. And my older sister started YWAM Nepal, started YWAM India, her and her husband and their kids. I've been in YWAM for 25 years, most of that time in Afghanistan where I worked for 10 years, then in Colorado, in southern Colorado for seven years, and now in Kona, Hawaii at our main headquarters in North America for the last seven years. And then there's my younger sister. She decides to do missions. <laughs> and she has been living now for 22 years, raising her family in North India, um, working among Muslims, doing church planning. They have four kids. They've raised their family there. So that's the three kids in missions. <laughs> and so my parents are like, man, if we ever want to see our kids, we got to join YWAM. <laughs> so they joined YWAM. <laughs> and... Um, as a part of this journey for my mom especially, she just began to feel God's heart and began to learn uh, through a lot of hard experiences of what it's like to release your kids into missions. 
When we begin to think about missions, the most challenging thing for those who want to do missions statistically, is that their parents say, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, somebody else can go, but not you, you know. And uh, around the world, this is a very common challenge. So my mom, uh, it was actually 15 years ago, she felt from the Lord to write a book about releasing your kids to the Lord. And just now it's out, it came out a few months ago, and there it is, releasing your children to the Lord. And uh, I don't know who that girl is, but anyway... Um, it's just a short story of her story of what God taught her as she began to put God's purposes above her own dreams, especially as she had to walk through some crazy times. My older sister was imprisoned in Nepal. I was imprisoned in Afghanistan. <laughs> I hope my younger sister is never imprisoned, but she worked in the Muslim world and it still does. So the story is basically of how she was able to do that. So yeah, I got that available. It's great to be back here in Jubilee. I've had a real big connection with Jubilee over the years, but especially the last six months. I've had the privilege to be with Daniel Leach. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Daniel has come to Kona, Hawaii, and he did his discipleship training course with us. And he was such a gift to me and to our community. I just love who he is. Yeah, I just really consider him and see him as such a man of God. He, we, uh, he went out to Israel, and as we went out there, yeah, we, we had a few ups and downs. But Daniel was a real rock, and he just, yeah, was such a glue to so many of our people. And, um, yeah, it's just been such a privilege, again, for me just to see him now as just, yeah, just a friend and, and someone who I can run with after Jesus together. So it's been great to, again, get that connection with Jubilee through, through him. I'm excited that we get to talk about the world. <laughs> and when we think about the world, God is winning. <laughs> we are on the winning team. And there are so many stories about what God is doing. First of all, right now in Kona, Hawaii, we have about 500 students every quarter in Kona. Right now in Kona, we just this last week, we sent two full teams to the Philippines. So we are very excited that what's going on in the Philippines is very much, yeah, we're, we're having a part in bringing aid and bringing help. So that's going on. <clears throat> um, yeah, God's doing a lot of good things in my life. I'm uh, in a wonderful journey. I've, about 12 or 13 years ago, I felt like the Lord told me in my own journey of being in YWAM and a missionary that I should hit 100 nations before I was 50. Well, I'm going to be 50 here in about a month. <laughs> And in two weeks from now, I'm going to Mongolia, and it is my 100th nation in my life. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so yeah, that's just a real personal milestone. Um, I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking I would never travel. I would never get to see a whole lot of the world. And now I've been to 100 nations, <laughs> almost. <laughs> How does that work? I don't know. Jesus, you know? And um, another personal thing going on with me is I'm in the midst of uh, writing my third book, and that'll be out in the springtime. It's been a long journey coming. Uh, it's going to be called A Fresh Look at Fear, Encountering Jesus in Your Weakness. And it's basically a very vulnerable, open look at my own life. Many of you might have heard my story, especially my prison time, 
and things that God taught me in the midst of fear, not so much how to get out over fear, but to how to find Jesus in the midst of fear. And the beautiful thing that I'm discovering as I find Jesus in the midst of fear, that that reality of finding Jesus actually begins to overwhelm the fear. And the fears actually fade, not so much by trying to get rid of the fear, but by being overwhelmed by something better. So that's another book that's coming out. Um, Afghanistan, as you know, is, as well, if you know me, is a big part of my life. Um, I was there a few months ago. But over Christmas, I'm going back, and this is real exciting news for me. Afghanistan has never seen a discipleship school ever in its history. And right now, for the first time ever in Afghanistan, we are running a six-month discipleship school with 15 Afghans being run by Afghans. Uh, We are super stoked. Uh, Yeah, God is moving over there. And right after Christmas, I'm going to go teach for a whole week and be with them there. So that's another thing. Uh, I could just tell you story after story. I just get excited about what God's doing in the world. Uh, A few months ago, I got to go to Bhutan. (laughs) Who's heard of Bhutan? <laughs> it's over there, <laughs> somewhere. Uh, Bhutan is a <clears throat> um, totally Tibetan Buddhist nation, totally unreached with the gospel. It's nestled between Nepal and China in the very northeast of India, and it's totally inaccessible. The only way you can get in there is, is very high-end kind of tourist. You have to pay some crazy amount like $200 a day just to get in. And, um, <clears throat> and as I've walked and thought about going, I've always thought, yeah, it's just kind of impossible to go there. Well, this last year, uh, as I was leading and working with Daniel in this DTS, we sent a team to India. And when I got to India to go visit this team, it's part of what the leaders do, they go visit teams. I got there, and as I got there, there was a problem with the, the area where my friends were serving. They were actually in a northern, northeastern area called Darjeeling, and that three of the team, they were a team of six, half of them came to the airport to come and get me, which was about a three-hour drive south. On the way to the airport, there was a strike in the city where they lived. <laughs> that strike shut down the, shut down the street, And for about a week, it was impossible to get into that city. So me and my three other friends have a whole week. We have no idea what to do. (laughs) So we go to Jesus. As we start to pray, my friend, Sarah, she's 20. She's like, oh, my gosh. And she just remembered six months before she had a dream of me and her being in Bhutan together. I'm like, Bhutan, it's impossible to get in there. It's such short notice. We need a lot of money. I don't think so. So we prayed, and the next day we just felt like God said, go to Bhutan. And we basically needed a miracle. (laughs) It takes two months to arrange the visas. The visas that you get to go in, you have to go on a tour. The minimum tour is eight days. There was one guy who we have connection with in YWAM who's actually both a tour guide, but he's also working with the underground church. And he's the guy that we wanted to connect to. But yeah, how do we get a hold of him in such short notice? And then we needed over (laughs) $3,000, minor detail. So we're sitting in India, and we're like, Jesus! (laughs) And in 24 hours, we were given a two-day tour visa... Totally impossible. We were given uh, the address of our friend. We got in touch with him. He was going to lead the tour, and he could totally take us in. 
and we raised over $3,000 in 12 hours. <laughs> and so out of the blue, we got to go into Bhutan, and man, what a fascinating privilege. <clears throat> Again, the only declared Tibetan Buddhist nation in the world, and we got to go for two days. It's an official tour that you have to be on, so during the day, you're seeing official sites. But when that was all done, this friend of ours, who was also one of the church leaders, said, man, you've got to visit our people. And we had the privilege to go to a house church in Bhutan. We drove for about two hours, totally illegal, down to this corner area of the capital city and way out in the country. We hiked for about half an hour in the mud. We got to this little house, and inside were 30 people worshiping Jesus. And I got to preach the gospel there in Bhutan. <laughs> And in the most remotest parts of the earth, to get to the most remotest parts of Bhutan takes a month. Like there's no roads, there's no airplanes. It's just by hiking in the Himalayas up there. And we had a great night preaching the gospel. We saw five people healed. <laughs> we had many, many people kind of receive revelation of the love of God. And then at the end, this really touched my heart, the only thing they could afford in that village to give us for food was potatoes. So we had a big feast of potatoes. It was awesome. And so, yeah, that just happened in my life there in Bhutan. So, yeah, God is winning. He's winning all over the world. And those are just some stories connected to my life. Um, I think about Oman. You guys know where Oman is? <laughs> South of United Arab Emirates, another uh, <clears throat> Muslim nation. There's over 2 million Omanis in the world, and not one of them is a follower of Jesus. Totally unreached with the gospel. We've been sending teams to Oman. Our last team that was there, two of, our, two of my friends, they decided one day, they woke up, they're asking Jesus what to do. Again, these are two young guys, they're both 20, and they feel like God's like, go pray for the leader of the mosque. <laughs> Well, in a Muslim context, maybe that's not the wisest thing to do. <laughs> anyway, they decide to go do it. They knock on the door of the main mosque. They said, yeah, we want to see the head, head leader, head mullah, it's called. So they go in, and they allow him to visit. He walks in. He speaks fluent English. They're like, what would you like? He's like, oh, we came here to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> He's like, okay, tell me about Jesus. <laughs> so they got to talk about Jesus for a while. And then as they are talking about Jesus, one of them gets a word of knowledge that there's something wrong with his right knee. So they look at him, and again, he's an elderly man, and they look at him and say, is there anything wrong with your right knee? He's like, who told you? <laughs> We're like, oh, just a friend of ours, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> And we're like, can we pray for your knee? And he, the guy's like, well, yeah, go ahead. You can pray for my knee. And so they start praying for the knee. And as they start praying, nothing happens. So they decide to leave. As they are about, I don't know, 100 yards outside the mosque, all of a sudden the assistant to this man comes running down the road and grabbing them and says, the leader needs to see you again. <laughs> And they go back inside, and the man's knee is totally healed. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I get excited. We had another wonderful m movement of a miracle in Nepal. Uh, one of my friends was praying at, at, at a temple, and they found this man where there was a little bit left of his pinky. It was like a little bit not even growing out. 
And he went up to him and prayed. And he's like, yeah, can I pray for your finger? And he's like, yeah. And he puts his hand on his finger. And the finger grows out right in front of him. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Another thing from Nepal. My friend Sarah, she's there, uh, was there uh, doing, uh, leading the team. As she's walking around, she meets these two girls, and these two girls are on their way to have an abortion. They get talking, they speak English, and she begins to talk to them. Now Sarah begins to tell her own story. Her own story is that she herself was supposed to be given up um, <clears throat> for uh, adoption at, at birth, but her mom decided instead to have an abortion of her. And her story was that as her mom was getting ready to have the abortion, she got, yeah, encountered by the Lord and at very, very last minute at the clinic itself decided, I'm not going to abort my daughter. So Sarah begins to tell these two girls of her own journey. These two girls get radically saved. <laughs> they give their lives to Jesus. They decide not to have the abortion. They've had the babies till today, and the babies are being raised. <laughs> Come on. So yeah, God is moving. He's moving all over the world. When I think about missions and I, I think about what God wants to do, um, I am so challenged by, by, by my, own, my own life. You know, sometimes we think missions is for those who can really do it or those with great abilities and those with great talents. <laughs> the reality is, is missions is for everybody. <laughs> and we all have a part to play, whether it's big or small. You know what? It's all big. <laughs> some of us maybe go, some of us maybe don't go, but both are very important. And in my own life, I, I never thought about missions. In fact, I grew up thinking I wouldn't do anything with my life. <laughs> I grew up in L.A., and um, the only thing I was good at was spacing out. <laughs> in fact, I spaced out all, I still space out today. <laughs> you know, sometimes <clears throat> my friends ask me, where's Dan? I'm like, Danland. <laughs> I love it there, you know. I got lots of friends there. <laughs> you don't need a visa. I had this crazy space out moment a little while ago. We were at Walmart, and we're going through Walmart, and my friend's like, how you doing? And I was kind of looking like this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I lost my keys. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. So we retraced our steps. We couldn't find them. So we get back to the door, and I'm like, I wonder if I left them in the car. So we get back to my car, and the car is running. <laughs> Uh, I don't recommend that. <laughs> and I tried to blame my friend. <laughs> that didn't work. Dude, it's running. He's like, you were driving. I'm like, yeah, I know. I never thought I would do anything with my life. <laughs> my aspiration, there was a grocery store called Ralph's. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to work at Ralph's in my whole life. You know, that's doing it. I never thought I'd do anything. I was the shyest guy around. I never talked to people. I just sat in my little corner in my room, and I thought, what? You know, how could God ever use me? But I am beginning to discover something in my life, and I continue to discover to this day that the more we discover who Jesus is, the more we discover the love of God, 
He wants to do more with our lives than we could ever ask or think. Because that's who he is. And he wants to so overwhelm us with his love. He wants to so overwhelm us with revelation of who he is that the Christian life would simply be this reaction of, uh, of response. So many Christians I meet, and so many times, even when I look at missions, there's so much stuff that comes up in terms of obligation. Oh, this is what I should do, or this is what I need to do. The reality is, when you walk with Jesus, and you discover the love of God, he wants to kill obligation. The Christian life was always meant to be a life of response. When we are overwhelmed by the love of God, we simply get to respond. And the more I'm overwhelmed by the love of God, the more I get to respond. And the more I'm overwhelmed by the love of God, God's heart begins to blossom in my heart. And the reality is, is God loves the whole world. So that's why missions becomes a part of the natural overflow. And in my life, as I began to pursue God's <clears throat> begin to walk with God and begin to try to understand what he had for me, I have become overwhelmed by the love of God over and over and over again. And as a response to that, oh my gosh, I just, yeah, for me, yeah, I just wanted to get involved in missions. And I didn't care how much. I didn't care if it was big or small. Yeah, I just wanted to be involved. Now the reality for me as you begin to walk with Jesus and respond to that simple tugging of, of God on our hearts is we very much encounter this place of risk. And as I prayed for you this afternoon, I want to share a few thoughts in, about this area of risk. When we think of missions and when we think about what God wants to do in the world, what do we do with the word risk? So many times we are encouraged to avoid risk at all costs. Like risk is a really bad thing. And when it comes to missions and when it comes to overseas, yeah, you got to avoid it, right? Because it's risky. Like, what if you die? Like, what if there's a problem? What if the money doesn't work out? And with this reality of risk, yeah, God has led me in my life to, yeah, encounter so many times of risk. But you know what I'm discovering? The love of God is greater than risk. The more I'm overwhelmed by the love of God, risk becomes less risky. Risk is only a relative term. And you're like, oh my gosh, do you know? I'm like, yeah, I do know. <laughs> I've been to some crazy places. I've, I've had my life on the line and I've had some crazy moments. But I'm realizing this, that yeah, there's risk. But that God is greater than the risk. <laughs> And the more I understand who he is, it kind of gives me strength to go forward. And I think one of the things that I really had to learn and keep learning about risk is that God has a very different view about failure than I grew up with. The fear of failure is one of the biggest things that keeps us from stepping out and trying something new. And I don't know about you, but I used to always think God was there and he's just kind of waiting <laughs> And he's just waiting for me to make a mistake, and then bam, you know? But that's actually not how God views it when we fail. How does God view it when we fail? I think it's more something like this. I was in the room when my nephew started to walk. <laughs> I love Caleb. He's awesome. <laughs> Caleb was on the couch, and he leaned off the couch, and he's never taken a step in his life. And as he's holding onto the couch, he's standing next to it, shaking like this. 
There's a lot of people in the room, including his dad. And he's holding on to the couch. And he's, he's holding on to the couch. He lets go with one hand. And then he lets go with the other. And then he takes a step. And then what happens? <laughs> Bam! <laughs> he falls down. Now, does his father do this? Caleb, yeah, nice try, buddy, <laughs> but you failed, so I guess you'll never walk. <laughs> I mean, it was really a valiant effort, you know, but yeah, you had a chance, but you failed, so yeah, enjoy crawling your whole life, you know, I mean, crawling's not so bad, you know, I mean, and what goes through our head when we think about this, that that's crazy, <laughs> you're right, I was there. What happened on that day was very different. Greg, the dad, runs up to Caleb with his beaming smile on his face, and he picks up his son, and he brags to the whole room, look at my son, he's walking. <clears throat> he's not walking, he took one step. <laughs> but that doesn't matter to the dad. And Greg will do this hundreds of times until one day Caleb is running around the room and tearing it apart. <laughs> Never once does it ever enter the mind of Caleb's dad, Greg, that there's a problem. And when we fail, I think that's how God views it. I think it's something like this. When we step out and when we go and try to do what's in our heart to do, and when we fail, I think what happens is that God has a wallet. <laughs> I think he has all our pictures in there. <laughs> and I think he takes out our picture when we fail, and he runs around heaven going, this is my son, this is my daughter. <laughs> no, does he really do that? No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I want to be a Christian. <laughs> That sounds pretty good. <laughs> That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. He is aware of our failure, but he doesn't focus on it. And the more I am becoming aware of the love of God and that he doesn't focus on my failure, oh, I want to step out. Oh, I'm willing to take risk. Oh, I'm willing to step into the unknown, step into things that seem scary. And in my life, yeah, I've had a lot of crazy moments of stepping into what's scary. <laughs> I'll never forget when I went to Afghanistan for the first time. I was 22 years old. There was a hospital there, and the only way to go work in Afghanistan was through this hospital. <clears throat> As I thought about going and everything, I had to get my visa, I had to get my money, and everything had to come together. There were many months in this journey. There was no YWAM there. I would be all alone. I was 22. I had just graduated with a business degree. They asked me to help run the hospital, which I had no idea how to do. And I'll never forget the day that I actually went into Afghanistan. I was in India, and I was actually going through immigration in India, and I get to the counter, and I know that when I turn over my passport and it gets stamped, then I know it's for real. I'm really going to Afghanistan. And as I'm standing there, this fear goes, Jute. you ever get that? <laughs> I get it all the time. And all of a sudden, I stood there, and I started shaking. And I thought, what if? What if God didn't tell me to go? What if? It was a volunteer position. What if I never get my money? What if? There's rockets and bombs there. What if I die? 
What if I'm not really supposed to go? What if it doesn't work out? And all these fears and doubts started welling up in my heart. And then I had this other thought, wait a minute, God's really nice. If I walk away and don't go, he'll forgive me. (laughs) I'm off the hook. (laughs) And I'll never forget that day as I stood there shaking. I looked up to God and I said this. I said, God, I think you told me to go. I'm not 100% sure, but I think so. And even if I die, even if I'm wrong that I'm not supposed to go, even if I don't get my money, even if things don't work out, even if I'm totally lonely, even if I crash in any other kind of way, I would rather live my life stepping out on what I think you're saying, stepping out on what my heart's telling me to do, than in any way backing off. And I'd rather live my life more based on the character of God than my ability to get guidance right. As we step out with whatever God has put on our hearts, we place so much emphasis on us. Like, oh, I hope it's right. Oh, I hope it works out. Oh, I hope it's this or that. I'm discovering that the main thing actually isn't me. (laughs) The main thing is Jesus. And that when I get it wrong, and when I do fail, and when it doesn't work out, God is bigger, and he is with me. And that it's more about the character of God than anything else. So I went to Afghanistan. (laughs) I could tell you so many stories there of God taking care of me. Let me tell you one. We worked at a hospital. And again, it was a place where there were rockets and and fighting on the streets. It was crazy, much worse than Afghanistan is today. This one day, I come out of my office, and I have to go run some errands. Now, in the hospital, we had drivers. And I get out, and I feel like I'm supposed to go sit next to the driver in the front. As I sit down in the front, I think to myself, wait a minute, no, I want to relax today. I'm going to sit in the back. So I go sit in the back. We start to leave the compound out to the street. As we get to the front gate, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit challenges me, Dan, stop and sit in the front today. Don't sit in the back. I'm like, okay. (laughs) As we're driving through the city, a sniper starts to shoot at our car, and three bullets go right through the back seat, right where I used to be sitting. I'll sit in the front anytime. (laughs) Where's the safest place to be in the world? It's right where God wants you. It's right where God wants you. It's not about a location. It's about simply going where we feel the Lord is leading us to go. And I've learned that so many times. I had hepatitis when I was there as well. When I got the doctor's report, he told me it was the worst case of hepatitis he'd ever seen. He said I would die in six weeks to eight weeks. There was nothing that they could do. And I remember going back to the house. My older sister was visiting. And I'm like, yeah, they tell me I'm going to die. She's like, what? And I told her the whole story. And she's like, you know what, Dan? I don't think the doctor's right. (laughs) I'm like, I hope not. She's like, I'm sure he's not. (laughs) And she lays her hands on me and goes, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll heal my brother of hepatitis. And from that day until today, I've only been whole. (laughs) Go God. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Jesus is always, always taking care of me.
Probably the biggest area that, that, that I've seen as I've stepped out with God and taken risk is to be captivated by the heart of God. And it's one of the most beautiful things as you walk with Jesus. You know, risk, like I said, not only becomes less risky when we're captivated by him and who he is, but it also becomes less risky and <clears throat> when we're more motivated and captivated by his heart for others. And when I think about missions, you know, sometimes it's kind of, yeah, it seems kind of distant. But man, when you get to be captured by the heart of God, that distance begins to change. And this very much happened to me in Afghanistan. I'll never forget, I had been there about a week, and I had begun to struggle with, oh my goodness, I'm in such a radically different culture. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. And the reality was, is I did not have a heart for Afghanistan. I did not have a heart for the people. And I remember praying this one day, and I'm like, God, I don't have a heart for the people. And God's like, Dan, I knew you need to just start praying for the people. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I remember my first prayer time. I'm like, God, I pray you bless Afghanistan. <laughs> okay, God, what should I do now? <laughs> and God's like, uh, Dan, why don't you pray a little longer? <laughs> and I'm like, Okay, God, I pray that you'll really, really bless Afghanistan. <laughs> okay, now what? <laughs> and God began to challenge me. He's like, okay, Dan, go for a walk. And I began to walk down the street. As I began to walk down the street and continued to try to pray, I thought, okay, I could just start praying for what I see. So I saw a shopkeeper. As I saw a shopkeeper, I started to pray for the shopkeeper. As I started praying for him, all of a sudden I got this vision. And it was a vision of Jesus in heaven. And he was weeping and weeping. And I remember looking up to Jesus going, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And he goes, no, 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 Dan, these are tears of joy. I'm like, what happened? He's like, Dan, there's a man in Afghanistan. He works at that shop. It's the man you just prayed for. I made him. I gave him his DNA. I gave him his taste buds. And for all of eternity, I have longed for someone to mention his name at my throne. And today, Dan, for the first time, you mentioned his name. And I'm going to answer your prayers and I'm going to save him. <laughs> oh, and my heart was wrecked. All of a sudden, missions wasn't this distant idea. No, all missions is, is connecting to the heart of God. So I kept walking along, and I'm like, I saw a taxi driver, and I'm like, oh, maybe I could pray for him. So I looked at this taxi driver, and I'm like, yeah, God, I just pray for this taxi driver. God, open my heart to him, and yeah, open my eyes to see what you see, and I just pray for his salvation today. And as soon as I prayed that prayer, that same vision captured my heart. And I saw Jesus weeping in heaven. And I remember thinking, God, now what? He's like, Dan, same thing. These are tears of joy, Dan. I know that taxi driver. I know his name. I made him. But no one's ever mentioned his name before, before my throne. But today you have, and I'm going to answer your prayers. Thanks for praying. I'm like, oh, my gosh. All of a sudden, prayer became this wonderful journey of connecting to the heart of God. And it wasn't this arduous task of trying to do some religious obligation. No, it was simply about the love of God in action, finding its way in my heart. 
Definitely the time when I discovered the love of God, the deepest, though, in my life for others, came when I was imprisoned in Iran. I had two death sentences on my life. I was in isolation in this cell, and I had been there for many, many, I was there for many, many weeks. And one of the big things that I learned there was that God challenged me to love my enemies. I'll never forget it. I had an interrogator in prison. It was one man who beat me every day. And it started the first day that I was there. I'll never forget the first day that he's beating me. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He's like, Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. And I thought, this is not a good time. (laughs) (laughs) And as time went on, I just kept feeling this tug in my heart. Dan, I want to teach you to love this man. Dan, I want to teach you to love this man. And I'm like, God, I, I don't know how to love him. I don't want to love him. Life was just about me at that moment. There was so much injustice in my moment, in my capture in Iran. I had gone there for two weeks on a missions trip, and they caught me as I left. And it was a long story of how they just had mistreated me. And there I was getting beaten. And I looked up to the Lord. I'm like, God, life's about me right now. (laughs) And God says it again. He's like, Dan, I want you to love this man. I'm like, God, how? And God asked me another question. He said, Dan, ask me what I think about him. And he changed the subject. So I stopped. I'm like, Jesus, what do you think of this man? And immediately I had a vision. And I saw how the love of God was booming out to this man. How this man was loved by the Father, his family, and his kids. And he'd been loved by the Father his whole existence, except for one challenge. He didn't know it yet. And I'm like, God, you really love him. And God spoke to my heart, Dan, you have no idea. And on that day, God began to do a miracle in my heart and give me love for my enemies. And again, it's all glory to Jesus. But God changed my heart. I'll never forget the last day I saw him. I had no idea it would be the last day I'd see him. They take me into the interrogation room. And as they shut the door, I'm just standing there shaking as I did every time I saw him. And as I'm shaking, something happened to me. And all I can say is the goodness of God. But as I'm shaking, I looked at him and I said, Sir, if I'm going to see you every day the rest of my life, let's be friends. He's like, what? (laughs) I'm like, hey, we see each other every day. Let's be friends. Why not? He's like, that's impossible. I'm like, sir, you can start by telling me your name. He had never told me his name because that wasn't allowed. He had never called me by my name because my name was 58 because that was the number of my cell. And I stuck out my hand like this, and I'm like like this, and I said, sir, let's be friends. And I waited. As I waited, he started to shake. (laughs) As he started to shake, he started to look around the room. It's just me and him in there. He finally took his hand out of his pocket. He reached it across to me, and he shook my hand. As he shook my hand, he squeezed it really tight. He wouldn't let go. And then, all of a sudden, tears started to flow down his face. And he finally looked at me and said, Dan... And he called me by my name. My name is Razak, and I would love to be your friend. 
There is no heart too hard for Jesus. There is no heart too hard for him. And he kept shaking my hand. He finally let go, and he wipes the tears from his eyes. He's like, Dan, I'm so glad we're friends. I'm like, me too, you know? And he's like, Dan, is there anything you want in the prison? I can't help you get out, but within the prison, maybe I can help you. And I thought to myself, yeah, I want a bigger room. (laughs) I had never seen that man again in my life. But later that night, the guards came to my room, and they said, Sir, we're moving you to a bigger room. And I knew that God had changed that man's heart. Because that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. And when we encounter the love of God, all of a sudden, risk begins to diminish. And so many times in my life, as I think about stepping out, as I think about going into the new thing or trying something new, especially as it relates to God's heart for the world. Oh, it can seem so scary. Oh, it can seem so distant. Oh, it can be, you know, what about this? What about that? When I encounter the love of God, man, everything comes into perspective. Man, when I think of the fears related to stepping out, when I think of the challenges related to stepping out with what God has, I'm learning to stop and be more impressed by who Jesus is, more impressed by his character, more impressed by his love than anything else going on in my life. And when that begins to happen, all of a sudden I become overwhelmed, and all of a sudden I want to step out, and all of a sudden I want to do whatever he's put on my heart. And that's what it means to walk with Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Yeah, as we come to this week of missions, as we come to take a moment to look beyond our world into God's heart for his world. Maybe for many of us, all of a sudden, like these areas of risk or areas of challenges come up. And maybe it's not even concerning missions. Maybe it's other areas of your life where taking risk or stepping out has just been so, so hard. Maybe there's been fears. Maybe there's been failures that have just kind of caused you to step back. Today, I believe that Jesus wants to meet you in that place, and he wants to give you hope. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you hope to step out again. He wants to give you hope to take a risk again. He wants to give you hope to reach out and be overwhelmed more by the love of God than anything else. And if that's something that you really want to cry out to God for, I want to encourage you to stand up. And yeah, I want to pray for you. Yeah, Lord Jesus, we really love you. And I want to just thank you, Jesus, for, yeah, my friends that are here and God, I just want to pray, God, as they're here and as they, they're standing before you, that you would meet them, God. That you would meet them, God. And that whatever challenges that they face ahead of them, God, that they would be more overwhelmed by the love of God than anything else. 
And I pray that Jubilee would more and more be known as a place with radical risk takers. People who go way beyond, people who step out, not because they want to be a hero or do something crazy just to do something crazy, but simply because they're overwhelmed by the love of God. And I just pray that kind of strength and reality for all of my friends. And I thank you, God, that we get to be involved in your picture around the earth. And we say today, God, yeah, we want to be a part of what you're doing on the earth. Even if it's risky, God, we want to be a part. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. Yeah, amen. Amen.